I, I did the, the four months in, in the south of France. And then um, I went to uh, Korea and picked up a little bit of Korean. <laughs> Seems to be a pattern there. <laughs> I have 20 phrases that, that works wonders when I need dry cleaning. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a story associated with that that I, uh, I could take. But then from, from there... That's Jack Clark I'm talking with and his story on how he learned Korean, like so many language stories that this retired colonel and former Green Beret has, is something that you just can't make up. For instance, how his language skills came in handy when he was parachuting into other countries on U.S. Army Special Forces missions. How the language he loved most, German, eluded him the longest, and how French nearly torpedoed his career. I'm Steve Levine. For Season 5 of the America the Bilingual podcast, we're talking with American bilinguals who have done remarkable things with their languages. Jack Clark helped me see that in a politically volatile world, language can be a force multiplier for good. But first, let's talk about baseball, or rather, as Jack learned to say as a young man, el baseball. I distinctly recall my early exposure to Spanish because there was the Spanish television channel, channel 47, I still remember, and it uh, showed a lot of baseball. So I would watch baseball games in Espanol. Why would you watch baseball in Espanol? For whatever reason back then, all, all of the New York Mets games were carried on the Spanish-speaking channel. Not all of them were carried on the other channels. So some of the games, if I recall correctly, if you wanted to watch them, you had to do it in the Spanish language. What was interesting is that uh, you're listening to the advertising as well in Spanish, and I can still recall certain phrases related to different products. Como que? Uh, like what? Uh, como la brisa so, uh, tropical. I think it was for uh, beer. No, the beer one was... Uh, Schaefer was a, was a beer in New York City at that time. Schaefer, está la un cerveza tomar cuando tenemos más de uno. <laughs> the only beer to drink when you're drinking more than one. Exactly. Seems even as a kid growing up in New Jersey in the 50s and 60s, Jack could see the importance of knowing another language. He's retired from the military now, but still very much involved in the security of our country today. I am a professor of national security studies at the Marshall Center. Which is? Uh, run and funded by the United States Department of Defense and the German Ministry of Defense. Our course participants come here literally from all over the world. The Marshall Center is in the Bavarian Alps, not too far from Munich. It's where Jack was when we spoke recently. But this was years after he listened to baseball in Espanol and studied Spanish in school. Yeah, although I really wanted to take German, but German, you know, after World War II was not very popular and my high school didn't offer it. By his own admission, Jack wasn't much of a student. I did not apply myself as much as I should have. I was better in college, 
But even there, I was never much of a student for languages. But by the time he was in college, he knew that language was going to play into his future plans. It was clear to me at that time that I was going to be an army officer. And it was clear that language capability would enhance my career. So uh, you knew pretty early on that you wanted to be a uh, military officer. That is correct. I never really considered any other line of work. My father was a veteran in the Second World War. Jack also knew what service he wanted to be in. I wanted to be an army officer, specifically an infantry officer. I wanted to lead men. uh, And infantry is where you do that. In other parts of the Army, and particularly the Air Force and Navy, you're focused on the platform, the airplane, the ship, the tank. In the infantry, you're focused on the soldiers. He went to Norwich University in Vermont, a private military college. There, a man named Mike Sierra, an Army major, became Jack's mentor. He knew that I had studied Spanish, and he impressed upon me that I would be better placed to communicate with some of my soldiers who are from a Spanish-speaking background, if I could also speak Spanish. I probably didn't take it too seriously, but at least the idea was in my head that uh, a language capability uh, could be helpful to me in my career. And did you find in your career that Mike Sierra was correct? Oh, absolutely. That was in 1974. By the following year, Jack was where he wanted to be, in the Army with the 82nd Airborne at the Jungle Operations Training Center in Panama. You would go down there and spend uh, two weeks in this school in the jungle learning how to survive, conduct military operations. And when the 82nd went down there, we always parachuted in. Parachute in. Generally, it's figuratively, but I have a sense in your case it was literally. Quite literally. Almost from the minute his feet quite literally hit the ground, Jack felt at home being in Panama. We had a little bit of free time. And we would go to uh, Panama City. I would do this with a group of officers, but I was the only one who could speak Spanish. And I interpreted for my colleagues. And this was very empowering, as you can probably imagine. My boss was impressed. By now, Jack knew he not only wanted to be in the Army, he wanted to serve overseas. At the time, the only country available to him was Germany. But first... I had to go through the Special Forces training. We would uh, spend two weeks alone in the mountains of North Carolina, navigating at night only. Jack said they were allowed to bring just one book, and so... I took a book on the German language, a grammar book. Do you still have that book? In fact, I do. It's called German Made Easy. Jack spent the next three years becoming a good conversationalist in German. There was only one problem. The Army didn't really care about how good he was in German. The principal mission of the Special Forces during the Cold War in Germany was going to be to parachute in behind Soviet lines and organize resistance and conduct certain raids and attacks on Soviet uh, units. Some of the the teams had a German language focus, 
But I was on a team that had a Czechoslovak focus because our job was going to be to parachute into Czechoslovakia. My target language was Czechoslovak. And so the army helped me there unsuccessfully, I might add. But never mind, because then something wonderful happened to Jack. I became enamored. Speaking foreign languages, living in a foreign culture, being able to take advantage of all the opportunities that we have over here for traveling. After three years in Germany, I wanted to stay. But how? Jack heard about the Olmsted Foundation. He told me that the founder, an American army officer, believed that Officers need to be widely educated, particularly in foreign cultures and languages. The grants are pretty competitive, but Jack applied for one and got it. You would study a language for a period of time, up to six months, and then spend two years in a foreign university. And in my instance, I went to the University of Salzburg in Austria. I finally got to study the German language. Besides your book? In the forest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the teachers were very rigorous. That's the way I sort of imagine German uh, teachers being, is rigorous. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. One of my teachers was a woman called uh, Frau Fleischhacker. Fleischhacker is a, is a butcher in German. And uh, she was very tough. And we called her the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, years later, I met a, a friend of my wife, and his last name was Fleischhacker. And I started to tell him, yeah, I had this uh, teacher and she was really brutal. And, and he looked at me and he says, that's my mother. The grammar book that Jack had taken with him in North Carolina was a portent of sorts of the rigorous approach his German teachers took to learning the language. Their emphasis was on speaking correctly, but... That was not my approach to the language. My approach was the ability to communicate, to leverage languages, to build bridges, to be able to express yourself and understand what people are saying, even if it wasn't necessarily absolutely grammatically correct. What you just described as your approach to language learning, as you probably know, is much more parallel with the thinking of most American language teachers these days and they would describe the German method on um, the focus on accuracy as, as sort of old school. And it was old school. I mean, this is 40 years ago. I suspect it's still that way to a certain degree because it's important to the Germans, the grammatical structure. You know, I still make lots of errors, but people probably consider my grammatical errors to be, for want of a better term, part of my charm. You've lived in Germany for quite a while now. That's right. Uh, on this assignment alone, we've lived uh, 28 years in Garmisch. When you speak to German-speaking strangers, can they tell that you're not a native speaker? I think they do. What, what's interesting is that um, I, I am frequently mistaken for a Dutchman. Because I'm relatively tall, because I have blonde hair, because I speak good German, but not perfect German. You know, I always joke. And also because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I must be Dutch. Are people you encounter ever surprised to learn that you're an American? They are. They, again, they think I'm maybe Dutch, or then they say, oh, maybe you're English. I say, no, I'm an American. 
their impression is that Americans can barely speak English. <laughs> well, they're certainly right about that. They, they probably know my friends. Jack told me that most Germans take eight years of English in school. You often hear that everybody in Germany speaks English. I asked Jack if he found that to be true. I would say the great majority of people under the age of 50 can speak English and can understand it reasonably well. If they're older than that, then probably it's not as good. In the city, of course, everyone speaks English and reasonably well. And what makes this interesting is I work in the Marshall Center. Marshall Center is theoretically a bilingual institution. All of our German colleagues, and we have a lot of them, uh, speak German to each other, but they speak English officially. But I am probably the only American here who speaks exclusively German when addressing my German colleagues. And I always tell people who compliment me on my language, I say, the reason I speak German is because I speak German. What Jack means is that he seizes every opportunity to speak another language, even when he doesn't have to. Jack speaks German at home about half the time. His wife, Gertrude, is Austrian, so the two speak German to each other. Our son grew up bilingual because I only spoke English to him. My wife only spoke German. And then when the three of us were in conversation, it would kind of go back and forth. But both his son and his wife keep him on his toes as far as his German. I'll never forget the time when I was on German television. Right after September 11th and getting into the uh, war in Iraq and so forth, I appeared a number of times on German and Austrian TV. They were looking for an American who understood the military and could speak German. I thought I did well. And then I went home and my son and my wife were waiting for me. As Jack put it, waiting to ambush him. Dad, you said this wrong and this wrong. <laughs> you mean not the content, but the way you spoke German? The grammar, and yes. The grammar, again. Let's talk about the different dialects of German. Well, I mean, there's, there's high German, which is written German, and it is spoken largely in the northern part of Germany. Germans themselves say that the best German is spoken in Hanover, which is fairly far up in, in Germany. Uh, here in uh, Bavaria, they speak Bavarian dialect, particularly in the southern part of Bavaria, on the border with Austria. It's uh, an accent that, even for me today, can be a challenge to understand. Can you say a few things in High German and then say the same things in an Austrian dialect? I have no idea. Ich habe keine Ahnung. And in dialect, ich habe keine Ahnung. Wow, that sounds quite a bit different. So someone from uh, Hanover and someone from your neighborhood, would they ever have trouble understanding one another? The, the Bavarian would not have trouble understanding the person from Hanover. But there might be some challenges in the other direction. I'll give you an example. Swiss dialect is very different from High German. It's written the same way, but it is pronounced in a way that, frankly, I have trouble understanding. And there are German films that were made in the 1950s and 60s in Switzerland. They're called the Heidi 
films. You mean about the story of the girl Heidi? The girl Heidi, yeah. When they're shown on German television, they have German subtitles. <laughs> because it's so different. It is so different. Wow. Most Americans who grow up in an English-speaking household, as Jack did, do not become polyglots. But Jack took advantage of every opportunity that came his way, even though sometimes he had no idea what he was in for. I saw in your bio that you also have a degree from uh, the French War College. Tell us about that. During the two years, two and a half years, that I was an Olmsted scholar, uh, I recognized that I had a unique opportunity to pick up another language. And so I took a month off and went down to the south of France and enrolled in a French language school and studied French for a month, with the objective being to take the army language test and get a grade that would qualify me to also do something in French. That something was eventually being accepted into the French Army War College. But first, Jack had to go back to the U.S. to the language school run by the Department of Defense. For Jack, it meant that... My wife and I went to Monterey, California, and we spent four months studying French there. Why was she in the course with you? There's a kind of a rule that if there's space available, spouses can take the course because they're going with you. Uh, uh-huh. And the idea is they are key to your success. But even with Gertrude there for moral support, the four months were their own kind of basic training ordeal. Classes were eight to five every day with homework after that. There was lots of emphasis on vocabulary, so Jack developed his own system for learning the new words. I had these three by five cards that were bound on top. And then I would, I would have them with me wherever I go, even when I went out running. But it was tough, even with his index cards. It was a challenge in a way that German was not, because I had three years in Germany before I went to Salzburg. So I was used to speaking some German, but I wasn't used to speaking French. The army said, look, we'll just send you for four months and you'll get personalized individual instruction. That's what they told me. Uh, That's not what I got. (laughs) I I was um, more or less thrown in to an already existing course that had four other students, and they were all much further along than I was in the language. In fact, one was a native speaker. I don't know why she was even in the course. Another one had spoken French for 14 years, and the third one was a French instructor at the Air Force Academy. And there I was. Whoa. Talk about over your head. The first class that I I walked into, unlike somebody at a tennis match, watching people go back and forth. The instructor was a 75-year-old Jesuit from Belgium. During the break, he comes up to me and he says, uh, in French, he says, uh, Major Clark, you have to participate. (laughs) I said, this is not going to go well. But after the four months, Jack and Gertrude were on a plane again, this time back to Paris, and he was off to the French Army War College, where yet more challenges lay ahead. Everybody is the a, a same rank as me, but the language they spoke was infused with all kinds of specialized terms that we use in the military. But these were in French. 
it was a little frustrating because uh, I couldn't follow along to the extent that I w- would have liked. And so in the discussions, they would kind of skip over me because I was unable to make a contribution. And this had an impact on my attitude because I sensed that my French colleagues thought that maybe I wasn't a competent officer, that I didn't know what I was talking about because I couldn't express myself. This feeling of malaise, to use a good French word, lasted almost five months until... From almost one day to the next, it clicked. And I don't know why, but all of a sudden, I could understand. You had what we call the Dorothy moment. When you wake up and everything's in Technicolor, Then we turned to a topic that had been on the minds of so many people in much of the world. Given the war situation, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, do your language abilities give you perspectives that you might not have if you were a monolingual English speaker? Oh yeah. My wife and I watch Austrian television, uh, news at night. And it's obviously in German. So I get a, uh, an Austrian perspective. I read Munich paper. And I also talk to my colleagues here at the Marshall Center in German. So I do get a, a broader range of perspectives that you simply couldn't get if you didn't speak German. This may be too broad of a question, but what do most Germans believe should be done? And do they call it the Russian invasion? Bavaria is very conservative, so you get a different perspective here than you might get in Munich uh, and certainly in northern Germany. But everybody realizes this was a Russian invasion. It's exactly what it is, and there's war crimes. The Ukrainians are, of course, proud of their language, but I asked Jack just how different Ukrainian is from Russian. It's um, sort of like the difference between Swiss German and regular German. But I'd say it's 90% the same. There's a number of words that are different. The pronunciation is a little bit different. I don't speak much Ukrainian. I know some phrases. And the uh, written form? It's more or less the same. Ukrainian actually has a couple of English characters. The families I was talking to yesterday were Russian-speaking families. The families Jack was referring to were Ukrainian refugees. But hold on a minute. How could he be speaking with them in Russian? I don't know if you know, I also speak Russian. I was beginning to wonder what language Jack didn't know. He knows Spanish, German, French, um, Czechoslovak, a little Ukrainian, a smattering of Korean. I'll tell you that story in a second. And now Russian. He seems to pick up languages like Velcro picks up lint. When I was studying Czechoslovakian, I decided that, you know, that's a useful language, but Russian is even more useful. And so I started to pick up some Russian words. In 1994, Jack was in Germany running the language school at the Marshall Center. We were teaching seven languages. Russian was one of them. And so I arranged for one of my Russian instructors to come in for one hour a day and teach me Russian. It was very useful because as a professor here, for the first 20 years of the Marshall Center, Russian was an official language. Jack could never let a chance to learn another language go by, including 
when he was stationed for a short time in Korea. I saw that it would be useful if, you, if I knew some phrases and so forth. I was a company commander at about 200 soldiers, of which 20 were Korean soldiers. Every company of 180 soldiers gets 20 Koreans as a kind of an augmentation. The, the Korean soldiers who do this love it because that's how they learn English. I selected one of these Korean soldiers to be my driver, my chief driver. And I said, Sergeant Chung, uh, you're going to teach me Korean. And he looked at me and I said, here's how we're going to do it. What I want you to do is write four or five Korean words on my side of the windshield. And as we're driving along, you teach me to pronounce it, tell me what it means, and correct me. And so I picked up some Korean. Wow, that's innovative. And now you use uh, some phrases at the dry cleaners in Germany? Not in Germany so much, but in the States. It was, you know, the dry cleaning businesses in Korean hands. And I would go in and say, you know, big smile. That's what we call uh, buds of bilingualism. And, and you get a warm reception from that. They love it. It sounds like you took such great advantage of how seriously the Army takes its language study. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. It, it was not central and key to my career, but it was a big help. What advice do you have to young people who are considering a military career? If you're going to be an intelligence officer, or if you're going to be involved with foreign countries, then it's very, very useful to develop a capability in a foreign language. I tell them, most of their interlocutors, regardless of what country, will speak some English. Military officers worldwide learn English. And the amount of time and effort that you have to invest in a language to get to where you can really communicate is significant. And I say that because I don't want them to have illusions. To get to where you need to be, it's going to be tough. It was not easy, but I think I had an easier time than most people do with languages. But it sounds like you also had a realistic expectation of how long it takes to get comfortable with the language. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, thousands. I think a lot of people underestimate the number of hours that are required. They say something like, well, I took three years of French in school and I can't say a sentence. Three years of French is not three years. It's a few hundred hours. And it's thousands of hours that are required. But it sounds like you had a, a great time every step of the way. Absolutely. And again, the reason I speak the languages is because I speak the languages. I go out of my way to speak French with French people, German with German people, Italian with Italian people, and so forth. Italian, too? How many other languages were lurking under this man's tongue, I wondered? Jack and I have a mutual friend, Eric Olson, a retired Navy admiral. He recently talked about how so much of the military budget goes for what he called kinetic applications, meaning, as Jack says, things that go bang. I asked Jack if he felt the military would be wise to invest even more in language and cultural training. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I learned this uh, here at the Marshall Center when September 11th came and we needed an air base in Kyrgyzstan. And we went there and we talked to them in Russian. We were able to achieve a level of understanding that we wouldn't have been able to achieve otherwise. And so investing uh, not only in languages, but in cultures, why people do the things they do is extraordinarily valuable. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Jack Clark, Professor of National Security Studies at the Marshall Center in Germany. You can find out more about the Marshall Center and the Olmsted Foundation that Jack mentions in our episode notes on the America the Bilingual website. And you can read about my conversations with other fascinating American bilinguals in my book, America's Bilingual Century, How Americans Are Giving the Gift of Bilingualism to Themselves, Their Loved Ones, and Their Country. Details are on the book page of the americathebilingual.com website. My thanks to members of the America the Bilingual team who worked on this episode, Fernando Hernandez and Luis Raul Lopez, from their production house in Guadalajara, Mexico, Esto No Es Radio. They also provide sound design and mixing. Also to Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director who wrote and directed this episode, and Carla Hernandez at Daruma Tech, who manages our website. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at Middlebury Language Schools. If you're serious about gaining proficiency in another language, check out the Middlebury Language Immersion programs held every summer in Middlebury, Vermont. It can be your springboard to your own bilingual adventure. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.